0: All right, welcome to a come follow me podcast, everybody. This is my brother Ryan. Ryan, introduce yourself. I'm Ryan. (laughs) I'm the oldest of of the
1: Anderson boys.
0: Yeah, there's six to be here. There's six of us. Ryan's the oldest. I'm number four, right in the middle, and we got a bunch of babies below us.
1: And I get uh, I have the pleasure of teaching seminary in the uh, Queen Creek, Arizona area, and and uh, grateful.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you're filling in, Brian. Uh, Last minute had a bunch of principally things he needed to do with students and parents and teachers. And so I just told him he wanted to like record like on the weekend or something crazy. And I was like, I don't work on the weekend. So we're salary,
1: but let's not be crazy. (laughs) Yeah,
0: let's not be (laughs) nuts. Let's get into this. So anyway, so Ryan was gracious enough, even though um, he's got his own teaching load to do. So he's maybe not looking ahead as much. So some of this may be reactionary, but it's all right. So I given him the rules which is that we have a clock that we're going to totally disregard and blow up anyway. And we're just going to, we're going to tell Anderson's and- roll. We don't, we, don't we, roll. To a clock. We, we set up rules. Rules are important, but we're just not going to pay attention to them once they're set up. <laughs> All right. So we'll start the timer here. We're going to talk about the sin of Sodom. Ryan, this is a potentially, well, often misunderstood situation. So how do you see, what is God going to destroy Sodom over?
1: Well, you know, it's it's really interesting. that when you when you start using the footnotes and the tools that we have available to us, it it, it kind of lends us to to thinking that the sin of Sodom is homosexuality. Yeah, the and foot
0: does that, right? It says sexual. Just,
1: just the fact that there's just yeah, that there's a bunch of uh, and it almost and it, and I guess in in our in our context, our modern context, we would think that wow, Sodom must have been like. You know, gay bars and and people yeah. of same gender attraction and and same gender marriages and 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 that's that can be misleading because we see very loving and faithful um, same gender relationships today that I don't think is the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. While while our church and the law of chastity is very clear against that sin. Um, that may be the be, point of
0: this. Yeah, I think we can be
1: misled a little bit.
0: Yeah. In fact, even in our um, seminary manual, there's a principle that takes great pains to even point out uh, sexual sin. And then it highlights homosexuality in particular is grievous to the Lord. And I just didn't feel for me very comfortable putting that in my study guide because I thought I don't think that's what the text is handing to us. So if you were to articulate it, what is the sin of Sodom?
1: You know, there's, there's some really interesting comparisons, and, and this is one of the reasons why I think the chapter breaks in scripture can be a disservice to us. Um, if we can just look at the text as an entire story, well, what, what comes before and what comes after this particular um, destructive event is the, the central characters are these three men that show up to, to Abraham's tent. And 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 when we, we we look at some of the the Hebrew scholarship that goes there, we we get a better sense that they're not just these three random angels. Like it's not the three Nephites that are doing this. We've heard that that interpretation before. That somehow they're I have not, know, heard especially that. With, especially with our temple our temple imagery, where you have these pre mortal, um, and it's and I don't think it's Peter James and John either. Yeah, yeah. You know, we get these pre mortal kinds of, of assumptions here. It's the Lord and and two partners that are there. Um, talking to Abraham, and and it and the 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 text does a really good job of comparing contrast. Yeah, contrasting mm-hmm. how Abraham approaches and treats them, and like goes out of his way to kill a calf, goes out of the way to find a place for them to rest in the shade, brings them water, has his wife make like really good bread that takes. Right. Your wife makes bread, and she makes really That's yummy bread, bread, and it takes effort.
0: Even, even the, the very first verse, it's the heat of the day, Abraham's watching, like there's a tradition that Abraham would just scan his land to see if anybody's out there on his land struggling, and, and you even get a little bit of that with Lot, Lot's at the gate, you know, what's he doing at the gate, and he's instantly like, oh my gosh, you're strangers, come out. Can yeah, 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 you, like you gotta come here, no, we'll sleep in the street, no you won't, no you won't, come in, right, and uh, but but there is this compare and contrast where you know Abraham lays out a feast lot doesn't you know gives, gives, them, some gives some them unleavened bread, bread. it's yeah.
1: like it's like the the hurried version of yeah. Here, let but, me feed you something
0: but the sodom the people of sodom want to abuse these strangers um, sexually i mean it, it's a it's a graphic oh, there's going to be a homosexual component to this it's going to take place yeah yeah but, but that's not the point the point is that th- this group of people does not treat kindly um strangers they don't treat people well and um and they're they're abusive and uh they're neglectful and they're all these things and so you know know and i
1: can't remember where i read it but there but in my in my studies and my preparations there's some future scriptures that that, that allude to what the sin of sodom is and yeah romans idleness and it's and it's inhospitality and it's i mean sure the, the the sexual part like the sexual deviance of but it's the it's the assault that's really the sin. It's it's not how they're going to be assaulted. It is that they're going to sexually assault these men. Yeah. Um. And then later we're going to see how how his daughters get involved in this story. But that's yep. the sin
0: more than anything. It's pride. Both Romans and Ezekiel yep. points out pride. the The sexual sin is listed in lists of their sins. Obviously, that's part of it. But this is why this is important. And I hope that teachers will take note of this. I don't know if we're going to create an environment of belonging and relevance and conversion, if we're going to if, if we're going to take some time to pick on gay people. I don't know if that's what we need to do. People know where we stand on that topic. If we want to be relevant with our students, we've got to talk about how we treat people that are different than ourselves. Are we in Abraham? Or are we the people of Sodom? And uh, I really appreciated the Taylor and Tyler podcast, uh, or yeah, the the Book of Mormon Central podcast, where um, Taylor points out, remember, the church is compared by Isaiah as a tent, and we're told to lengthen the borders, to strengthen the stakes. That's where the word stake even comes from. And so we got on our buildings, visitors welcome. So how do we do when a visitor comes in among us? Now, I don't think we're as bad as Sodom where we're going to go like, physically assault them but do we ignore them do we judge them because they're a little different from us or like abraham do we treat them like the family bring them in come eat with us come be a part of us um please rest yourself this is a place for you to be safe and to be a part of us
1: i love i love that president nelson's and and when he was pretty condemning uh about racial um prejudices that are in the church told us we need to expand the the net, the circle of influence of our friends. We need to expand that because the Lord is going to harvest all of them. He'll be the ones that he's going to be the one that's going to judge, but
0: we, we gather them all in. We can't gather Israel. We can't be a part of the Abrahamic covenant for spending a bunch of time being like the people of Sodom. Great. So now let's go to, uh, I know it's a little out of order, but we're going to go back to the chapter before when Abraham meets these, these three men um, I've been talking with, uh, in prior podcasts with my institute students, that one of the things that God wants from his people, um, the covenant relationship that is kind of described in the thoughts to keep in mind and come follow me is God's trying to create a relationship of trust. We're learning how to trust him, and we're learning how to be trustworthy, and, um, and then the man of counsel motif from, from Moses 7, where God wants to have a human and divine collaborative relationship and and i just saw evidence of this in this chapter when it's like these three men are here and you don't know if abraham totally gets who his dinner guests are at this point but you look at um, verse 17 and the lord said shall i hide from abraham the thing which i am about to do and it's like it's like he's saying to his two friends in the presence of abraham and they have a little mini divine counsel he's he's going to let abraham in on the plan and then when the two uh, attendants go away, Abraham stays there and boldly pleads for the people. Um, he, he, he starts interacting for Abraham who realizes who this is, maybe by this point at least, that he's talking to the Lord. He has no problem trying to negotiate with the Lord to save the cities. So I'm, I'm curious, Ryan, you're a, you're a priesthood leader, you're a seminary teacher, you're a dad. Um, what do you think is relevant about understanding what's going on here in this story with abraham and the lord if anything
1: you use the phrase divine counsel in one of the study bibles that i look at this idea that abraham steps forward you know once once he realizes the lord's intent what he plans to do with sodom and gomorrah um the 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 note that that has here you know this is this is often used for someone about to deliver a legal plea yeah, introduces Abraham, who's supposedly audacious in the cause of justice—a stance that could scarcely have been predicated from the obedient and pious Abraham of preceding episodes. And so we we've already we've already seen Abraham as being this—he's he's this faithful. He's uh, I want to be a greater follower of righteousness. Um, and I think what the Lord is dim- there's th- I always find interesting when the Lord asks very obvious questions, like in the Garden of Eden. When Where he art says, thou? Who told you you were naked? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Where art thou? When he when he asks these very obvious questions, I don't think it's. I think there's. I, you know, he's he's obviously much a much better teacher than than I am, but it's always to give the person for whom he's going to teach the lesson an opportunity to exercise their agency to act, and I think we see in this the Lord inviting Abraham into his councils of, so. I'm inviting you to now act. What do you think about what I'm about to do? Yeah. And Abraham now is going through this this mental exercise of what if there's 50 righteous? And Lord said, okay, 50? Oh, okay. 40? Sure. 40 45? 45 yeah. and, and, and I don't think he's negotiating. I think he's getting to a point of and and I think he's learning from the Lord like, "Oh, so there's not even 10.
0: There's not that even are
1: righteous here."
0: Yeah.
1: Oh. Okay. I, you know, I think the Lord is allowing him to get to the point where he's going to understand what is just.
0: Yeah. I, I think this is an important point because I think we think it's faithful to defer everything to God. We think it's faithful to go to God in prayer and just say, tell me what to do. We think it's faithful to say, listen, if it's in the scriptures, it's the word of God. I don't need to think about it. It's here. It's what I believe. And that's not faithful because God tells us we should be anxiously engaged in a good cause. We should do many things of our own free will, or we're slothful and not wise servants. The power is in us. And Abraham has no hard time talking with the Lord and, and counseling with him and using his agency to try to figure this out. And you know, it, it almost gets uncomfortable as he keeps going down this list of how many numbers he would do. And but, okay, but don't get mad at me. What if, what if we go for 10? He's still deferential. There's, the, the, there still needs to be an appreciation for who yeah. God is and who we are. And we see with the brother of Jared as well, you know, don't be angry with me. I'm, I'm trying my best and I am ashes. I am dust. Um, but I'm still not seeing this. I still feel like there's some wiggle room here and the Lord lets him go all the way down and, and is willing to have this conversation. And I just think when we go to the Lord in prayer, we should appreciate that our humanity, our weakness, our lack of knowledge, is not a flaw in God's plan. It's a feature of the plan. He wants us to counsel with Him. He wants us to use our agency because the point isn't to do everything perfectly and most efficiently. The point is for us to grow. And Abraham's going to learn an important lesson, like you said, he's going to learn something about Sodom and um, what's going to happen. I think
1: that, there. and I think that that's borne out that after the destruction takes place, where is he? He's standing. He's standing on the hill, he's overlooking- watching. Like he's just yeah. watching. He's watching it happen now. Yeah, it's a good it note that it takes that it happens.
0: That's a good point. And where's Lot when that's all destroying? Let's talk about Lot's family for a second. <laughs> oh, boy. Let's all buckle right. up. Let me let yeah. me
1: buckle up here.
0: So now, I mean, we've got to probably make some caveats here because we we understand that what what scripture is doing, especially Genesis, is not giving us um, journalistic history. It's not telling us exactly how things went, obviously, especially when it was compiled. There may be some propaganda going on here. You know, we're going to get the origins of some of Israel's um, uh, enemy nations like Moab and Ammon. Um, well, and, and, our, and our
1: friend Ben Spackman likes to remind us that we need to read this the way that the Israelites who are reading it at the time, which is most likely what during, to them. The, during their Babylonian ex- exile. How are they reading this story yep. and what what is this meaningful for them?
0: Yeah, and like you had mentioned before, what's the shape of the book itself? What's Genesis trying to do? And like you said, we're comparing chapter 18 with chapter 19. We're comparing Sodom with Abraham, but we're also comparing Lot with Abraham. And so what are we learning from Lot? What are some of the lessons that you and I can that are relevant for us today that we should learn from Lot?
1: Well, and, and I think we start, we start with what we studied and come follow me this week about, about Lot that, you know he chose to point his tent doors towards Sodom and Gomorrah where, where, you know, um, Abraham was a l- little bit more, he but saw, he built he an saw, altar. He saw the potential of what Canaan can be. Well, and he while built an altar looking he, at what was already.
0: Yeah. Lots, lots looking at Sodom. Abraham's building an altar and it's not very long before now he's in Sodom. Like that we don't, the text doesn't even tell us, but now he's living in Sodom and apparently he's, I mean, he and his wife, Love and Sodom, sister, sister
1: Lot, kind of needs to be involved in this too, yep. because yep. We, get, we get this, we get this kind of weird story where, uh, so take the sexual assault part out of it. Once, once, once it really starts to happen, these these uh, angelic visitors, these two angels, get out. Kind of almost have to drag Lot mm-hmm. out of out of his house. And so, you know, he, he he's he's obedient in saying, i well, I'm going to go warn my family." Yeah, and, and they obviously don't believe.
0: And yeah, so let's not let's not be too hard on him. In verse fourteen, they think he's he's joking around. So yeah. I can understand why Lot doesn't want to leave if this is about to be destroyed, and his family, his brother, his, his son-in-law, so his daughters are hanging around still, and they're going to be destroyed. He lingers in verse sixteen. So I get that. But you've got angelic beings. You, they're, what they're saying to you is not in question. He believes what they're saying to him. Um, but but he's lingering when they're telling him to hasten. So there's yeah, one. We goes. also
1: see in verse 17 that the uh, the prospect of living like Abraham does out in the out in the now wilderness is, is not a, He's he's not he's not super thrilled about the fact that I'm going to die. Go oh, I'm, I'm just going to go die in the mountains now.
0: Yeah. He'd yeah. rather
1: he'd rather go to a little town. He, he's he's an urbanite. He doesn't like the suburbs. He wants to be where the action's happening. And if even if I can just be in a little town, I think
0: I'd be happy. You know, it's interesting, though, the study Bible points this out. Abraham, with all his negotiation with the Lord, doesn't save anybody, but Lot in his bumbling, <laughs> you know, lackadaisical, saves Zor, a city on the plain. It's the only one that survives. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know what you do with that, except that that happened, you know. Um, and then what's going on with Sister Lot in verse
1: 26? Well, I, you know, there, there's we don't get a lot. <laughs> Pardon the pun. (laughs) I didn't intend to do that. But, uh, you know, we there's there's a lot of reading in between the lines here. And and I think I think Elder Holland does a really good job explaining, you know, what what was really wrong with Lot's wife. It's not just that she looked back, but it is where where was her heart? Where was her yearning? And I I almost it it says that he that that his wife looked back, but I, I bet there was probably maybe some steps back.
0: Well, the Hebrew there was word was
1: probably a physical. I'm, I'm going back.
0: The Hebrew word for looked in verse 26 is not the same one for looked in 28. Yeah, the the looked in 26 means to um, regard with favor and care, and the looked that Abraham does in verse 28 means to just behold. And so she is, her heart's still there, and and we don't know to what extent. Obviously, again, the scriptures aren't telling us historical journalistic facts Does she turned to a pillar i don't know i if well, she went and, back yeah, she died with the city
1: yeah and well and and, now and Elder holland, you know elder holland will then now apply his his apostolic keys to say that when the lord asks us to move forward we're we need to move forward don't don't linger back if we're called to to serve if we're called to, to be missionaries if we're called to to leave our homes because we feel prompted if we're whatever whatever assignment that the lord gives us and we and we accept it the the sin of, of lot's wife is okay i've accepted it i was i was really much more comfortable before that so i'm just not going to do anything i'm not going to move
0: forward with this and and, and she and, dust yeah. thou art and unto dust shalt thou return right she, she can't be used it. we
1: can't be used that way
0: yeah and, and we should just say this because we're not going to get to it in the big finish but um the the whole episode in the cave with lot's daughters. Um, as sordid a tale as that is, the reality is that some of our most famous, um, Ruth is a from Moab, and this is the origin of her story, and uh, this is part of Jesus' genealogy, which as you go through Genesis and through the Bible, you come to realize that, you know, if you ever did some family history work and discovered you have a horse thief in your family, and you're a little ashamed that you come from that legacy— you should look at Jesus's genealogy. It's full of all kinds, right? And and so I think, uh,
1: and I think the other point on that, I, as I was thinking about this, you know, Israel uses this as a way to disparage their their enemies. These are the Moabites and the Ammonites become just perpetual enemies in their battles. And I think I think the why this is this is kept and, and, and specified is that Israel's own king. Is a descendant of Moabites,
0: yeah. and David, the two,
1: the two nations of Israel, kind of get their start. These two kings of the kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, with with Rehoboam, and his he's a descendant of the Ammonites, and yeah, his his and, mom. And David is a yeah, David is a descendant of Ruth, who's a Moabite. And I think the message there is, you know, you might think these pretty awful things about these other nations and other nationalities. You need to look at yourself in the mirror. Yeah. because that's your own that's your own history
0: we're all connected yeah yep. yeah let's talk about um what is known to uh in the hebrew and to the jews as the Akedah. it's uh probably the foremost um foundational story in genesis for the for the jewish faith and it's the the binding is what akadah means the binding of isaac and so you know not to so how
1: old is isaac
0: yeah, so that that's that's a good question. We we get from Jacob in the Book of Mormon that this is a similitude. This is a similitude of God sacrificing His Son, and you see a lot of artwork that depicts um, Isaac as a little boy, and uh, you know he is called a lad in here. However, there's some latitude. We're being super punny today. There's some latitude in what words mean. And lad can mean anyone from eight years old to 25, okay? So this is quite the range. Or just younger than Abraham. Yeah, this doesn't (laughs) seem to be, yeah, and Abraham's quite old. This doesn't seem to me to fit the similitude if this is just a little boy Who's just against, against his will. Yeah. yeah, Against his will or just naively going into this thing. Cause he trusts his dad or being surprised like dad
1: all of a sudden bites yeah. me. And, yeah. Some, there's some, oh, medieval, dad what are you doing and tries to fight against it. Yeah. There's kind of medieval thing.
0: art where Abraham's got his son's face and it's like, you know, I, yeah. I actually like, there's an old school video that it's called the Akada. I think it was done by BYU where he's a, he's a strapping young man way stronger than his old grandpa, dad. And and we don't have anywhere else where Isaac demonstrates really any faith like this is kind of the one story we may possibly have. Um, and, and, and so there's a twin... like we're missing some context in there. Well, I just think that's that's the point is if th- there is a twin sacrifice here, if it's a similitude, it's the sacrifice. When we talk about Jesus, we often focus on the one being sacrificed. And then when we talk about this story, we focus on the one doing the sacrificing and both stories should fill in the other one. I think we've got we've got to remember that heavenly Father performed the sacrifice. Jesus says in section 19, "Glory be to the Father." And uh, and 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 then I think in this story we need to realize that Isaac willingly was a sacrifice. He was not like a sheep um, before his shears is dumb. He he knew what was going on, and he was he was allowing he was submitting to the will of his so, father and,
1: and this is something that teachers especially if teachers are going to teach this there's there's a very easy connection and a very easy this can become problematic especially if we were studying Abraham chapter 1 where Abraham himself was the 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 subject of an attempted sacrifice to by his father by his father yeah and it takes an angelic rescue to 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 do that so there's some easy connections but uh, you know, students very quickly ask, well, Abraham went through this himself. Why would he do this to Jacob or yeah. Isaac, excuse me, to Isaac? Yep. And I think the answer is very, I think the very, very simple answer is, you know, I think, I think Abraham and Isaac talked about this. The Lord's asking me to do this.
0: So this is, uh, I actually didn't tell you this in our little pre warm up. I, I call this a potentially bad idea, but I want to propose it to you as uh, as somebody who's in the room with seminary students, I wonder if this might be a, an interesting case study to use to do a little acquiring spiritual knowledge, some doctoral mastery. And, and I don't know, I, you got to, I guess you got to gauge your students, but what if you had, you had partners and you had one student be Abraham, one student be Isaac, and you are going to try to explain now, now, now don't be like, it'll be funny, I guess, kind of, Hey, son, I'm going to kill you. Is that okay? Right? Like, but, but like, how would you frame this with an eternal perspective? Where would you invite him to seek further knowledge to understand what's going on? And then how would you ask, ask him to act in faith? Again, maybe it's a terrible idea, but like, how do you think that would play out in this particular case study to try to do a little acquiring spiritual knowledge?
1: But well, I, I feel like at the very least, it gets them to think in a different way that this isn't mean old dad Abraham, because I think we see that not only in the Abraham, I, there are, are, are other, you know, the traditional Christian brothers and sisters, when they read these, these texts very literally, are going to see Abraham in a different light. They even, you know, and Isaac is seen differently and, and, then, and then Jacob and Esau and that whole story, they, they, if we just read it on the surface level like we did with Lot, like we did with with, uh, with Sodom and Gomorrah, we're going to come to some... I um, miss it. Yeah, we're going to miss, we're going to hit some un, some incorrect assumptions and incorrect interpretations. But if you can, I think if you do this activity, you just look, how would you, knowing that you've been praying for 100 years to have a son, how would you try to explain to this son, and let's let's put the parameters in here, He's old enough that he can beat you up. He can fight against us if he wanted to.
0: yeah he doesn't have to do this. he's got to be willing.
1: how how would you how would you how would you teach it? How would you invite him to act? because I, I see very easy parallels into the trials that we had in the early early uh, 19th century of polygamy. you know how did Joseph approach these people to make this kind of a sacrifice? and he uh, always said it's good. I don't want you to trust me. I want you to go find out for yourself if this is what the Lord's asking.
0: Yeah. And that's what God even compares it to an Abrahamic sacrifice. And and when you consider what some people really worry about with plural marriage, especially early plural marriage and Joseph Smith, they're worried Joseph Smith was abusing his power, that he was a sexual deviant, um, that that he would manipulate young girls and having sex with him. And that's what that could look like. Right. But if you think, boy, do the mental exercise of how would you explain this to your son? Then, then maybe you can appreciate a little bit in that case study. Maybe what, what it looked like for Joseph to roll out polygamy. And maybe that could just prepare you for when God asks you, because this is Abraham 325. This is, we will prove them herewith to see if they'll do all things, which I command them to do. And we're all going to be asked. Joseph said, God will pull at our very heartstrings. And so I, I actually, I don't know. It'd be an interesting case study because it's such a well-known story. But maybe it'll help them link it to Christ, and maybe that'll help them link their own what God's asking them to do. Yeah, and
1: I, I'd love to see how a teenager would try to put themselves in the position of of, of Isaac. Yeah. And say, okay, so you're hearing your father come to you and is say— is this convincing? Yeah.
0: <laughs> would you act? <laughs> would, you, would you
1: be convinced by this argument? Well, what, what would, would you, you need say back to it? Yeah. Yeah. What would you need in order to? not only go along with it but you're the one carrying the wood up the hill you're you're basically building the altar for your own sacrifice. like what would get you to the point where you'd be on board with this and know that this comes from god
0: yeah there's some
1: interest wow that would that would probably elicit a lot of interesting
0: it could I, I think be prepared for teenagers to be goofy about it at first so ride that wave but but anyway potentially bad idea i put it out there for everybody all right you ready for the big finish let's
1: do a big finish Let's do all it. right
0: So with the big finish, we're going to just hit a couple of the things that, you know, kind of were in these stories, but we just didn't have time for it. So um, you heard Ryan talk a little bit about this idea that it was the Lord and two attendants. Interesting thing I saw was that this is actually fits within a Canaanite literature uh, motif of a divine being having two attendants. And so, um, you know, having Abraham have three people visit him and then having two of those people move on to Sodom. I know that's not in the JST. But, that, but that's what Genesis tells us, fits within a, K, a, a greater Canaan literature. So kind of cool. Um, point number two, collective salvation. Um, so we talked about how uh, Abraham saying, if there's if you can find Paraventure 10, we'll save everybody. Ryan, what do we need to know about kind of an ancient mindset of collective salvation?
1: Yeah, I think we— uh... Maybe as Latter-day Saints, we 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 get too focused on individual salvation that it's just it's just me 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 me. Um, you know, we're you know individuals are going to be judged. Individuals have to prove themselves. Individuals, individuals, and and I think one of the things President Nelson is doing a really good job at is saying that look, if gathering of Israel is the most important work, then we got to be thinking bigger community type salvation. We got to be
0: thinking community salvation and not just individual. Yeah, they're both important, um, but but it, I think it is helpful to realize that in the beginning it was a collective, it was a us together, and you see a little evidence of that in DNC one where the Lord says I'm speaking to the church collectively and not individually. We see that in some places.
1: Barbara Garner does a really good job of helping us to see how priesthood starts very individual with Adam, and then it quickly becomes you know when we talk about it being patriarchal, it is it is family, but then. When we see the family of the earth, when we get to Noah, it is we're, we're literally talking the entire earth. He may still be the patriarch, the priesthood holder, but he's looking at an he's looking at a universal salvation, and yeah. they don't they don't buy into it. And then, so that's why there's a universal destruction.
0: And then that's why Abraham is called to bless all the families of the earth through the blessings of the priesthood as they scatter out and gather back in. So it's an important, I think, scriptural model. There's a, a second sister wife moment here, where uh, apparently Sarah still got the goods, you know, even though she's a million years <laughs> old. Isaac was she 99. 99? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what what might be going on here? And we're gonna get a third. She's my my sister motif, but this time it'll be with Isaac and Rebecca, and but still. Yeah, uh, some,
1: some of these Hebrew commentaries are pretty humorous about how they how they approach it. Like, you know this this second the second story where the king is like you know hold up why did you do this to me like i'm a good guy pharaoh the f- first time we see it with pharaoh all right maybe pharaoh's got some some impure you know he's just trying right. to get a harem together but this king like literally is befuddled by why why did you do
0: this to why did you do me that way a gentile king is That's is uh, right. uh is accurately chastising the father of the faithful um right. you know what, what do we do with these three stories? I don't know. Genesis seems to be very deliberate about this. And, and you know some of the source criticism says maybe they're from different like authors in their compilation. But I wonder, I, and I haven't done this. This was a thought, but I've been in busy and other things, but I'll probably study this this coming week. If we were to lay these three stories next to each other, obviously there's similarities. But I wonder if the, it's the lesson is in the differences. I just wonder if there's a pattern to be found in there. So anyway. Maybe,
1: I think I think also one of the things that the book of Genesis does really good and, and, and which they're really intentional about is just showing, showing the humanity of prophets. Yeah. Just showing their humanness that they don't always get it right either.
0: Yeah, maybe Isaac is just following what his dad did. And it was yeah. a terrible idea then and it's a terrible idea now. <laughs> Although they keep getting enriched by it. Uh, all right. Uh, the the Hebrew word, I, I don't know if I'm saying it right. hinani. H i n e n i. I guess I didn't need to spell it. It's going to be on the right. off to our side right here. Um, but it it is a word that there's not a great English equivalent. But it, it's it's in the, the binding story of Isaac. Every time uh, Abraham says, "Here am I," and uh, the best we can do is a paragraph for this one word. It's it's uh, a readiness, a receptivity. Um, you're you're going to act. You're going to obey. You're loyal. Um, that That is purposely, this word is used multiple times in this chapter and kind of almost not anywhere else um, to, to kind of show the faithfulness of Abraham in this story. So, I don't know, that may be just a gee whiz, but that word's in there. Well, it, it makes a lot
1: of sense because, you know, oftentimes when we talk about the pre-mortal council, Here, where, where, Christ, where Christ is, you know, they, they call him the anointed one. They call him the only begotten before the Father. And yet when we read these about this pre-mortal council, it, it, if you're not careful, you read it as if Heavenly Father doesn't know already what's gonna happen. And it's almost like he's asking for volunteers, in which case it's like and so and so we can get we can get a little bit confused. I still have I still have students and adults alike still think that two different plans were presented in the pre-moral yeah. council.
0: And what's Satan? Why are we so mad at Satan? He was just presenting a plan like he was, right, he was just
1: offering an alternative. And yeah, But this idea of here am I.
0: I'm ready. I'm ready. Christ, to do Christ to do. is
1: prepared and foreordained and anointed and chosen. And he's basically accepting. And when Satan comes about and says the same thing, he's he's trying to usurp the power nobody asked you <laughs> no, <that's right. laughs> he's he's just he's the big brother or he's a he's the middle child in the back of the room going yeah. i got a better idea how about? Yeah, i, I noticed
0: father? how you quickly went from big brother to middle child well because christ is right. the
1: big brother I'm sorry big brother
0: <laughs> all right let's uh just quickly sacrifice versus execution it's noted that abraham pleads for the lives of these horrible humans in sodom and says not a word contrary to the sacrifice of his own son And so what's up with that, you might ask. And it would be great if your students ask that because then you can teach a really powerful principle. There's a difference between execution and sacrifice. The guilty get executed. Abraham was pleading, advocating for mercy. But when it comes to sacrifice, the victim is innocent. That's what makes it a sacrifice. And in this case, Abraham totally understands that concept and doesn't try to talk God out of a sacrifice he's being asked to make.
1: The relevance is we, we apply that to ourselves, and what, what do we offer ourselves to? And, and I think it's probably important to to include that sacrifice is, is the word itself means to make holy. Yeah. And this is, this is an offering that's going to make us holy. Prophet Joseph Smith said that a religion that doesn't require the sacrifice of its members can never... Produce the faith. I'm, I'm paraphrasing,
0: obviously. Necessary yeah, for never,
1: Can never produce the faith sufficient to save its people. Yeah. And and what the, what is the Lord asking us to sacrifice? It's our ourselves, a broken heart and a contrite spirit. We're gonna put ourselves innocently on the altar and say, Lord, whatever you would have me do, I'm willing to do it.
0: Fair or not fair? If there if there's a a string of consistency, rescuing Sodom would not have been fair. Sacrificing Isaac wasn't fair either. Absolutely. So. What is, you know, it's not fair have to do with anything. Finally, Mount Moriah. There's some, you know, uh, I was taught early on without any um, controversy at all that Abraham was sacrificing his son on the very spot the Temple Mount would be um, would be placed where Jesus would be crucified and and all that. And I love the symbol of it. And, and it's great. Um, I don't I'm not convinced that's what it is at all. The idea that Moriah where Abraham sacrificing Isaac is the same as the Temple Mount comes from a later Jewish tradition and chronicles that calls the temple mount where the temple now sits as mariah that and, and then we've just said well it must be the same place they're using the same name but that doesn't make a ton of sense because we kind of do the same thing all the time we say find your own sacred grove right we're, we're connecting uh, i've been camping
1: on mount nebo
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. There's two There's Mount Nebo in Pace in Utah.
1: I've been camping in Mount Nebo. I don't think it was the Mount Nebo.
0: But I do love the idea, though, that what happened on the original Mount Moriah can lay a foundation for what happens now on the new Mount Moriah, if it is a new Mount Moriah, um, that, that Isaac as a similitude forms a foundation of every sacrifice that happens in that temple court. And if yeah, that's the reason, that's cool.
1: I don't think it's accident that we have altars in all of our temples, and there's a lot of temple literature here. Yeah. First, in fact, the first covenant that we make in the temple is that we will obey the law of sacrifice.
0: And in fact, there's a little wordplay going on here too, because "more" means "seen," and ayah is the shortened for for uh, Jehovah. Yeah. Jehovah. And then, and then when um, when Abraham names the mountain, uh, Jehovah Jireh, is that what he calls it? It, it's just the reverse of it. It's uh, Jehovah was seen. It's to see Jehovah as Moriah, Jehovah was seen is Jehovah Jireh, and so it happens
1: after the the, the ram in the thicket.
0: Yep, yeah, it's just this wordplay of of what it is and, and how how beautiful of a symbol is that for the temple. Jehovah was and seen. I saw Jesus. I, I saw Jehovah today. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, brother. Boy, I think this is fun to the limit. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for uh, filling in for Brian. And uh, maybe we'll have you back,
1: we'll see what the what the humans say. Yeah, this this is what this is what Anderson would do. We sit around and talk
0: about stuff like this. it's kinda of weird. While our wives wander away going, okay.